Welcome, Impactful Parents. It's time for the Impactful Parenting Podcast, where I give you parenting tips and resources to make you a more impactful parent to your school-aged child. I am your host, Christina Campos. For parent education videos every week, online courses, and coaching. And if that wasn't enough, I bring experts in on other fields onto the Impactful Parent stage to teach you even more. And today I have a special guest. His name is Jeff Tucker. Jeff Tucker is a licensed counselor. When he was in kindergarten, his teacher gave him a book on grief about his great-grandmother passing away. And today, Jeff believes in the power of books to change children's lives. His new book called Vinny the Brave is about a young boy that learns to face his biggest fear and all the lessons along the way. Jeff cares about children's mental health. And today, I brought Jeff onto the Impactful Parent stage to talk about ways parents can best help their children who are fearful. Whether you have a younger child that's in kindergarten that is afraid of the dark or a teenager scared to speak up in class, then this episode is for you. I'm excited to have him here today. Thank you for being here, Jeff. Well, my first question to you is just as we talk about fears, you know, are all fears the same or are they different? Should we, as parents, look at different fears differently or just kind of clump them all together? Uh, fears are different because some fears are are adaptive for us. They're helpful for us. There's there's a reason most humans are afraid of things like snakes and spiders and heights um, because that that keeps us alert and it keeps us safe from things that could potentially harm us. Uh, but then other fears aren't quite as adaptive. Um, so if you have a fear of public speaking, which is the most common fear that people have, and you're very passionate about uh, teaching and you find yourself in front of a large group, that fear is not going to serve you very well. And that fear actually doesn't really put you in any danger. It's merely holding you back from engaging in what you value in. So then how can parents help children understand that some fear can be helpful and some hold us back? It all starts with open communication and normalizing fears with kids. Uh, a lot of kids think adults are fearless. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but I got I got plenty of fears. Um, but for them to know that adults experience it as well helps normalize it for them and letting them know that other children their age experience them too, no matter what they say. Uh, I, I see it a lot in, in young boys are like, oh, I'm not afraid of anything. Um, and typically, uh, I, again, in boys, in, rather than showing fear, a lot of times they'll show other emotions instead, typically anger, because uh, it's frowned upon in, in their peer circles to be seen as being afraid. Um, but really just normalizing that fears are okay. And when your child does have a fear, sitting down with them and discussing with them, is this fear something that's helping you? Is it preventing you from getting hurt? Or is this this fear keeping you from being your best self, keeping you from doing the things that you want to do? Uh, so, for example, say your child is really a huge fan of, of baseball and really wants to try out for the Little League team, but then freaks out every time that that pitch is thrown because they don't want to get hit by the ball. Now. It's a rational fear. You don't want to get hurt, um, but we can sit down with them and talk with them. This takes practice, but this is also something that you're really passionate about. You care about this. You get excited about baseball. So that's when we may need to work through 
to overcome. And, you know, if you're afraid of clowns, unless you're going to the circus every day, it's really not going to cause that many problems in your life. So I wouldn't focus that much attention on. So what are some typical fears as parents are listening to this? I know a lot of times we're listening to go, is my child normal or are they not normal? Um, and that's why they listen to whether they're listening to the YouTube channel, the podcast, or they're inside the impactful parent app. Uh, that's the kind of information we just need validation. Like, okay, that's a normal fear or this is not a normal fear. So I needed to go get my child help. So like, let's say, cause we have school age children here. Let's start at like age six to 10. What are some typical fears that you see that are not unusual within that age range? Uh, six and 10 on, on kind of the lower end of that scale, the younger end of that scale, you might still see some fears of the dark. You can see some fears of things that are like creepy crawly, uh, fears of thunderstorms are really common or of people, uh, like home invasion and stuff like that can be fairly common. Uh, fears about something happening to one of their parents, somebody getting hurt, especially if they've experienced a death in the family recently, they can become kind of hypersensitive and hyper fearful that something will happen to another family member. Uh, all of those would be would be relatively common. Um, some children I've found uh, a pretty common fear is is going to school. They fear going to school and that can be for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're afraid of speaking up in class. Uh, maybe they don't feel like they perform as well as their peers. Maybe they're being bullied. So it'd really be about exploring the reason. But a fear of going to school is something that you would want to address because that's something that's going to hold the child back. And what about our older children? What are some common fears there? Oh, once once we get to our adolescence, a lot of the fears are, are social. Um, because they tend to be pretty fearless in a lot of other areas. Uh, they have kind of have this this uh, oh this invincibility myth that they've attached themselves to. Uh, that's why when when they start driving, everybody gets so scared because it's one of those well, bad things can happen to other people, but not necessarily to me. Uh, but you do still see a lot of fears with regard to how they're perceived socially. Uh, that they don't want to be perceived as as unintelligent or unattractive or unathletic. And basically anything that could make them feel a sense of shame in themselves or make them feel less than their peers, uh, there's some fears surrounding that. Do you have any fears in particular that you would say are just red flags if your child has them? Or maybe there's not any. I don't know. I mentioned earlier about it. If your child has has lost a loved one and they become overly fearful that they're going to lose another family member, um, that fear is understandable, uh, but that might be something that needs to be worked through with like a grief counselor uh, so that they don't become to the point where they, they can't separate themselves from their caregiver or, or loved one but because of that fear. Now, let's get into helping our children, no matter the age. So we have a child that's fearful. And now we've decided that this fear is impending their quality of life. Let's say it's maybe stopping them from going to school, stopping them from playing the sport that they love, whatever that might be. What are some of the things that a parent needs to do as first steps? For a fear that's impending or preventing them from doing something that they want to do, uh, I think it's just sitting down with that child and 
and talking to them about why doing it matters. And, and that's something, uh, it's kind of a thing in acceptance and commitment therapy is that we engage in something called experiential avoidance, which means we will do everything possible to avoid pain and anxiety in our life because it's unpleasant. Um, but it's also a part of life. Uh, if we we can't selectively uh, like selectively get rid of the bad and keep the good. Um, so we can't take away the bad things at school, but keep the fun dances and recess and lunch. Um, that we have to learn to accept the good with the bad and that feeling fear is natural. As I said, normalizing that, but at the same point, facing the fear doesn't necessarily have to look like if you're afraid of a snake, you don't, you don't have to go to a big tank or go to the zoo and like grab one or something like that. You can do things in, in successive approximations. So say you have a child that's really using the example about baseball, who's really wants to try out, really wants to get into it. Um, we start slow. Maybe we just start in the backyard. We, we start with a game of catch. We get used to the ball coming at us uh, and then move to the next step. Maybe we do some slower underhanded pitches for them to hit. Okay. Once they become comfortable with that, we'll do overhanded, still slow um, until the child becomes more comfortable with that. And with each kind of a sequential step, the child becomes more and more comfortable. And then eventually they're able to face that fear. And it doesn't seem like this insurmountable task because they've worked themselves up to it. Um, just like a, a, a child that may be afraid of the dark, uh, if they insist on sleeping with a lamp, okay, we can, we can work down to a nightlight. We don't have to go into pitch darkness right away. Um, that rather than making these just big jumps, that we can do these little small steps to get us there. Because it's, it's that whole that old phrase of like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It kind of works the same with, with overcoming fear. I love the scaffolding that you're talking about, that little by little by little. And I mean, it just, it's a great way to approach it. Uh, a lot of us parents, especially if you're older, like, I'm in the Gen X and even older parents than me. We come from a generation where our parents literally had that tough love of pushing us into the water so that we would learn how to swim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like a lot of parents, whether they were from that generation or not, or their background, depending, it can be hard to scaffold when we're so impatient ourselves. That's not how we grew up. Um, and yet it is the best way. So I'm just encouraging parents to who think that way, that there might be another way and that it's okay to scaffold a child into, you know, just little by little by little in order to get them someplace. Um, and just to learn from our own experiences, because I'm, I'm, yeah, there's a group of us that I'm sure can say, I learned it that way and it's fine, but yeah, I, I turned think, out just fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. But then there's, I think a majority of us that would say, yeah, that really didn't work out to me. I don't like to swim now. <laughs> so <laughs> as someone who was thrown into a pool, I can tell you that I do not enjoy swimming now. <laughs> yes, uh, so, exactly. so that, that approach did not work for me. Uh, so <laughs> sometimes that kind of sink or swim men mentality uh, can, uh, can be a little traumatizing and we don't want to do that. Now, I'd like to get into asking for help and specifically about 
asking for help outside of the family, because I'll say parents, if you want your child to come to you, they're fearful of something and they come to you to confide in you for assistance. It's because they trust you as a parent. They trust that you're going to nurture them and they trust that you're going to take care of them. That trust is built over time because you have proven to be trustworthy. Um, For example, there'll be teenagers who do not trust their parents anymore because their life experience has told them that if they were to tell you something, you might blow up at them, get mad. Now they're in bigger trouble than had they just kept it to themselves and dealt it with on their own. Um, Not exactly the kind of thing we want from our teens, but just saying that is kind of how you build this trust is you have to keep composure. You build that trust over time. Now, let's get back to asking for assistance outside of the family. This is where I see a lot of adolescents and young children falter. They just don't feel like they can trust anybody to ask for help outside of mom or dad or grandpa, whoever their little tiny circle is. So do you have any advice for how parents can nurture the outside relationships and kind of push their kids to ask for help outside of the home. Because let's face it, some fears are outside of your home. Your home is the safe space. Therefore, your kids need to learn how to ask for help when you're not around as a parent. So any advice with that? Uh, In the U.S., we live in a very individualistic, independent society, which is you should be able to take care of yourself and your needs, uh, taught not to show fear, not to show weakness or vulnerability, um, which isn't conducive to our mental health. I think the first thing that parents can do is to model that behavior, model the behavior of asking for help outside of the family, even if it's just, oh, hey, this item is really heavy. Can you help me lift that, you know, with someone who's not in the family? So they see you collaborating and working as a community with other people so that they can feel more comfortable. A school is kind of a microcosm of a community itself. You got you have a library, you have a nurse, you have you have all, you know, you have your cafeteria, so basically a restaurant. You have all these different facets that are like a small community. So really modeling those behaviors in the community but also maintaining relationships as a parent with those individuals that the student is liable to need to ask for help for help from. If the student knows that you have a positive relationship with their teacher um, and they know that you know you're not complaining about their teacher all the time and they know that you t- to have a strong bond, they're going to be more likely to trust that teacher because they trust you and they trust your judgment. So if they see you, in a trusting relationship with those individuals, they're going to feel safer going to them as well. Role modeling is so powerful on all levels. So that's just fantastic. Um, it's really great. I, we, we want our kids to be independent. I mean, the whole point of parenting is that our kids can be without us someday. And it's just so important to teach our kids to ask for help outside of the home. So I really appreciate that answer and wanted to reiterate that to the audience that that's kind of where we want our kids to, to go to someday. So um, it's, although it's wonderful when they come to us, but we can't be everything to our kids all the time. That would be exhausting. <laughs> so um, what about 
the differences between helping a, let's say kindergartner versus helping a teenager, is there any difference in helping with their fears? Uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there is with a teenager, we're, we're working on fostering autonomy. Uh, they're getting older. We're wanting them to be able to function more on their own. Uh, a kindergartner does not always have they don't always have the language, the vocabulary to articulate what it is that they're feeling, and they may not always know what they need. Uh, so on that end, they're going to need some more parental support um, because they're not always going to know how to go about asking for help because they may not even completely understand the problem. With an adolescent, um, it's it's really better to empower them uh, to advocate for themselves uh, than it is to step in and take their voice away from them. We we don't want to go in because our, our our 14-year-old is afraid to speak up in class, so we go talk to their teacher about it because essentially we're taking their voice from them. We're, we're non-verbally communicating, I don't think you're capable of doing this on your own, that I have to do it for you. And, and that's a little bit different, you know, for, for a smaller, for a smaller child. Yes, that is true. And as a parent, that's a really difficult transition for some of us to make because we want to help our teens so bad. Like they come to us with problems and we're like, ah, oh, we're going to fix it mode. And really it's and more about coaching, I guess, them coaching them through difficult situations. Well, that's one of the the, the things um, because I, I'm an adjunct instructor in a counselor education program right now. Uh, I'm graduate with my PhD next month. I'm super excited. Uh, Congratulations. But that's one one thing in in teaching counselors and training is not to go into fix it mode. Um, It's not our job to solve people's problems and give advice, no matter what it is that's portrayed in the media. It's helping them figure out their own answers uh, for, for what works best for them. And often what kids need isn't you need to do X, Y, and Z, and this will all go away. They just need you to hear them. They just need somebody to hear them and not scoff and invalidate and be like, Shh, that's nothing. When I was your age, it was so much worse because we forget what it's like to be a kid. We forget what it's like to be a teenager. Uh, by the time, you know, we're in our thirties, we may have had, you know, a, a several failed relationships. So we look at this, you know, this 15 year old who just went through their first breakup and they're like, oh, they'll get over it. You know, it happens to them. That's their first love. That's a big deal to them. They don't have this wealth of life experience to draw on. So the impact is greater and it can, it can be really invalidating to have a parent just kind of be dismissive of that. So I think it's important for, for parents, educators, any anyone who works with youth to keep that mindset and remember what it was like to be at those ages. Because I think we can all agree that adolescence was hard. It's a, it's a hard time in life. The fix-it mode is really hard not to go into, especially um, our expectations too as parents, because in front of us, we see this very tall, taller most of the time, <laughs> this is a shorty like myself, but you know, a, this tall young man or woman in front of you who definitely looks like an adult and you forget that their frontal lobe just really isn't developed and they don't have the life experience that you have. And so our expectation as parents is that you look like an adult, you should act like an adult. When really 
Uh, no, <laughs> no, they yeah. don't have the life of experience that you have. Their physical body is just so deceiving to us. Um, so another great reminder to all our parents. And that frontal lobe isn't going to be fully developed until about 25 on average. It's a long time to wait. I want to get into your book and tell me again about what's all in there. Why would a parent want to go out there and grab it? I, I have a background in clinical mental health counseling and school counseling, but I spent the majority of my career within the school system, both alternative school settings and I spent a lot of time in a third through fifth grade elementary school. It was my favorite job I ever had. Uh, I dedicated my second book to that school. Um, and my story is Vinny the Brave. That's the one that just came out. Uh, is the third book in a series that is called Chicory Elementary Stories for Success. And it was kind of in inspired by the experiences of the students that I worked with. So I wanted to create, I wanted to write books that, uh, the young people could see themselves in, that they could identify with the struggles of the characters and how they went about identifying them. And I'm a strong believer in, in bibliotherapy, kind of like you talked about in my introduction. A teacher sharing a book with me really helped me process uh, a very grief at a very dif difficult time in my life. Um, so these books in this series, and I have one that's uh, about an alligator, but the books in this series in particular, uh, they don't focus on a particular character. They just all focus on different students in the third grade at this school and the different experiences and, and struggles that, that they go through. So are the books geared toward that around that third grade year or is it for kids much younger? Uh, K through fifth is okay. what it's recommended for. Um, and then I have tips for parents and educators in the back of every book um, on boystownpress.org. There's supplemental activities uh, that that can be purchased that kind of go along with the story. Uh, those are mainly to be used by like teachers, school counselors, stuff like that. But it could probably also get some wheels turning for parents as well, of just different ways they can engage and talk, engage with the material and talk about it with their child. But this particular book, Vinny. Vinny's fearless, and uh, that, that's that's what he prides himself on. But then he kind of confesses to the reader that he does have one fear, and that's talk, speaking up in class. Um, so I, I won't ruin it. You can find out whether Vinny manages to overcome this fear or not. Uh, but this whole talking in class was a very common fear I saw among students of this age group when I was working in that school system. Just to touch on the other two books in the series, you said it's not Vinny, but what are those about in case parents are interested? Okay. Uh, the first one I did was called My Name's Sammy and I'm No Snitch. Um, and this is basically, there is a culture of we do not snitch in, in uh, well, kind of runs both elementary and secondary education, but it's really about the difference between uh, tattletelling and reporting. Because uh, we were finding that students, because they didn't want to snitch on other students, uh, that they weren't revealing information that adults really needed to know because somebody could have gotten hurt. Uh, so that's what that one's about. Uh, the second one is about, it's called Amelia Understands Equity. And that one 
is really about um, some students having like 504 accommodations and like IEP things in place and a student feeling like that's not fair. Like everybody should be treated the same and have the same thing and kind of working through, okay, okay, everybody, uh, everybody has, doesn't necessarily have to get the same. Everybody gets what they need in order to be their best self. So, and then Jenny, of course, is about fears. And then Isaac, the instigator, which I don't have here with me right now, uh, is not a part of the series, but it's another book I did for Boystown Press. And that's for kiddos who kind of like to, to stir up trouble and start fights between other students. So, And if we're interested in purchasing these books for our own children, where can we find them? Uh, you can get them at boystownpress.org or you can get them at, you know, on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. So pretty much anywhere that you, you can get books, you'll be able to find them. Well, if you were to leave the audience with your last words about being fearful and helping your kids work through that fear, what's your last closing words to help the audience? Uh, I think it, it kind of the overarching theme of the book is that being brave doesn't it does not equate to the absence of fear. Uh, being brave is acting in spite of it. I hope today's episode brought value to your day. And if you would like to become a more impactful parent, download the Impactful Parent app. The Impactful Parent app is free to download and full of episodes just like this one that are going to help you in your parenting journey. So carry help and tips and parenting resources right in your pocket so that you can refer to it when you need it most. Plus, when you download the Impactful Parent app, you're also joining a community of like-minded parents who just want to be the best they can for their child. So much is inside the app. You have to check it out. 30-day challenges, online courses. There's so many great videos. Check out the app. You got nothing to lose. It's free. So go to your app store, type in Impactful Parent in the search, and I should be there. Or you can go to theimpactfulparent.com, and it's that easy. So discover how you can step up your parenting game and become a more impactful parent. But until next time, you got this. I'm just here to help. Thank you for listening today. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And don't forget, the Impactful Parenting Podcast is an extension of the Impactful Parent community. Go to the Impactful Parent website and download the free Impactful Parent app so you don't miss a parenting tip that can help you and your family. Thanks for listening today. So go to theimpactfulparent.com. And see you next episode.